In the midst of life, there is uh, many times where sorrow is the immediate response to life and the circumstances that we're in. But as uh, we recognize that, uh, there are also uh, the challenge to experience life to its fullest and experience that there is joy even in the midst of our lives being tested and tried. And that's why James begins his book uh, just powerfully stating uh, his his goal for them in the midst of all that they were going through, that they might be willing to consider it all joy no matter what they were facing. And, and that's our uh, challenge as well. And it's not only the challenge to consider it all joy, but also to consider, well, how, how am I supposed to do that? And really that's what James does. He not only tells us the practical things to do, but he also tells us how to do it and why to do it. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James. And uh, the middle of that chapter, we're going to be looking at a passage that really speaks about experiencing uh, God's best. But as we uh, look at that, you know, God does want us to um, have joy in life, not only the joy of God's goodness, no matter what happens, uh, but also joy just being able to take life a little bit less seriously than we normally do. I was uh, browsing the Yahoo News this week, and I came across an article that I thought was kind of interesting. They, the article said, best jokes from Washington to Obama, our pre- presidential jokes. They thought the best jokes that these presidents had ever, had ever given. And I was thinking about that because they're not really known as comedians. But a lot of times those jokes are given before the, the press corps. And as if you are following the president or what's happening at, at the highest part of our state, whenever the president tells a joke, you better what? You better laugh because uh, that's who you're following. So uh, uh, anyway, I, I came across a few jokes, and, and whether, no matter whether which side of the aisle you are, just be a little, little um, take life a little less seriously. I, I, one of the jokes actually that they used for Obama actually was actually given the next day. He, he just spoke at the press conference, his last press conference in that particular format uh, yesterday. And, and this is what he said. He said, I've been asked many times who's going to be our next president. And I, I just answer the same way every time. I have no idea who the next president is, but I'm sure she will do a great job. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. Herbert Hoover said this, Blessed are the young, for they shall inherit the national debt. <laughs> Franklin D. Roosevelt, when told that his wife was in prison, um, he said, I'm not surprised, but what for? <laughs> George H. Bush said this, People say I'm indecisive, but I don't know about that. (laughs) And then Abraham Lincoln, the one actually that kind of triggered for the transition of the message today, um, as he was kind of challenged about being a hypocrite, he said, if I were two-faced, would I be wearing this one? (laughs) Um, You know, it's interesting, I, I read another story about Abraham Lincoln that if you look at his paintings or a couple of his paintings, one looks slightly different than the other. One painting has him with his wart on his face, and the other one it does not. And they were asked about that. He was asked about that. He said, well, the one painted me as I am, the other painted me as they wanted me to be. In fact, actually, they had him in a, such a pose that the, the wart was kind of hidden from the place he was trying to do the portrait. And as you think about life, particularly as you think of a place like this, where we're called, pe- calling people to what we would call a more godly life or a life that honors God, we would say, well, that means God wants to take off all the warts in our lives. Well, he, he wants to take off those things in our life that, that don't shine for Him. But some of the things that, that we go through life, they might not be warts, but they might be the scars of life. 
And God can use our pain, God can use our struggles to show Christ even in our weakness. In fact, I think Paul said that, you know, when I'm weak, then I'm really strong. And, and so this morning what I want to do is I want us to talk about how God wants to work in our lives and, and particularly how He wants to work in our lives. But before I talk about the what and the, and the how, I want to talk again about the why. Uh, the Christian life is described as a, as a narrow path, and few decide to go down that less traveled path. And part of the reason is because it's not necessarily an easy path. And when you're going through life and sometimes uh, as you become aware of what God wants you to do and you don't want to do it at that particular moment, you, you try to just decide what, what, what are you going to do. And that comes back to, again, what's going to be the big motivating factor for you to choose God's way than, rather than your own way. Well, what God wants to say to you, not only is what I'm calling you to do right, but I want you to know that it's also the best. And so in your title this morning, I've entitled the message, uh, You Can Experience God's Favor. Uh, but I guess I could put that in a question for it. Do you want to experience God's favor? Uh, God's favor is God's blessing. In fact, I, I want to start in the last verse of the message rather than the first verse of the message to, to capture that motivating factor in terms of responding to God's will in our life. Look at James chapter 1, verse 25. And he closes this section, uh, part of this section, with this. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and bides by it. And let's be honest, most of us, do we like rules? I mean, we don't mind giving rules, but do we like following the rules all the time? No, it's not usually the thing that's high in our list. And partly because we question the rules that we're given, and, and particularly who is giving them and why they're giving them, and is, does it re- should it really apply to me? But if we think God is the one giving the rules, and He's giving the rules that really matter, and they do apply to my life, um, we don't wrestle with that. We don't wrestle with whether the rules are good or not, or perfect or not, but we still wrestle about following them. And He says, um, but I want you to understand that the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and buys by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, and we're going to look at that this morning, not just hearing it, but actually deciding to follow them, this man will be, what, blessed in what he does. And, and so we could, we could ask ourselves really that question, do I want the favor of God, the blessing of God? If the answer is yes, then backing up the train just a little bit or the bus a little bit, so well, how do I get the blessing of God? It's by discovering God's word and then following it. It's not a great mystery. How do I know experience God's blessing is when I do what He says. And we're going to see that laid out in this section. Most of the time when we hear people wanting to invoke, that's kind of an interesting word, invoke God's blessing on us is when we what? When we sneeze, right? Somebody sneezes and someone says, God bless you. And I'm thinking... If that's the only time you need God's blessing when you sneeze, then we, we don't, it, it's, it's not that motivating. But God's blessing is beyond helping you control the cold that you might be contracting or already have. God's blessing is God's favor. And, and so I put it in your outline this morning. God's word sets us free and brings us his favor. In, in John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said this, Jesus was saying to those who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make or set you, what? Free. I, I, sometimes we can really understand the blessing of God by seeing what the blessing of God is not. 
blessing of God is not bondage. It's not being restricted and saying, well, I can't really enjoy life because God has all these rules and regulations. God's word, which contains God's law, his perfect law, is that which sets us free. It allows us to be how he's made us to be. When all else fails, read the instructions, right? Now, some of you guys are smart enough when you get things from Ikea or you get some other things where you have to put it together. You can figure it out yourself. I have to read the instructions because I'll end up, when I do it on my own, with like 15 more screws than I have used and some parts. I go, where did that supposed to go? Well, we often do that with God. We, we, we don't follow his plan and we go, what went wrong? Well, we didn't follow the instructions. And Joshua 1.8 puts it this way. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Don't just simply talk about God's word. But you shall meditate on it day and night. Now, we don't talk a lot about meditation in place, in, in, from the pulpit uh, enough. But meditation is simply, it's take what you read, think about it then, and then bring it up later and think about it then, and then bring it up later and think about it then, and then bring it up later and think about it then. Take what you learn about God and remember it, recall it, for points of application in your life. And he says, meditate on it. Why? So you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So if we want blessings from God, if we want the answer to, to, uh, to the question, why isn't my life as abundant as Jesus seemed to promise that it would be? I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, why is that true? God wants, if God wants me to bless me, why am I not experiencing his blessing? Now, part of it, we think blessing is that your life is now perfect. You don't have anything go wrong in your life. That's not true. But it means that no matter what you go through, you experience God's blessing or favor or freedom because you're doing it according to his plan. But then again, you go, okay, I'm motivated. I'd, I'd like to experience God's favor. I'd like to be set free. I would like to experience the blessing of God. But how do I do that? Well, that's what this section in, in uh, the book of James is all about. And we'll begin there. It's basically receiving God's word in a way that will make a difference in your life. It's not just being around it, uh, even reading it or hearing it. It's doing something about it. But you've got to prepare yourself to receive God's word. So let's pick up the account in uh, the, the letter in James 1.18, and then we'll move on a little bit with that idea. James writes, In the exercise of his will, that's God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The word of God is always central in understanding what, how the Christian life is supposed to be lived out. And he says, By God's plan, his will, he said, I brought you to myself through the agency of the word of truth or the word of God that we would be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. And we talked about that last week, that, that we're not in the back of the line with God. We're in the front of the line. We, we are blessed by him. And, and then he goes on. We talked about this last week. But there are some things that will keep you from continuing receiving the word of God that you began your step of faith with. And he, and he talks about, first of all, things you should already know. Have you, have you recognized there's some things in the Bible you already knew before you read it? Have you ever discovered that? There are some things in here that just... I mean, yeah, duh. And, and, and James even says this, 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 this you know, my, my beloved brethren. So I'm going to tell you something you already know. Now, on the sidelines, you know this, but you're not doing it. But uh, you know this. And what is it you know? But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We, we all understand that. I mean, 
God has given us two ears, one mouth. We ought to listen twice as much as we speak. We ought to be quick to hear, slow to speak. And, and we've all seen the fruit of someone being angry, somebody else, or my own anger. It usually doesn't construct. It what? Destructs, all right? And he goes on and says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, that was a little bit from last week. Verse 21, though, goes on and says this, Therefore, based on what you've already heard, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. I'm going to just talk about that in general, and then we'll get specifically at it. God wants to save us from not only our sin and from the, the, the onslaught of the world trying to press us into its mold or the evil one getting down the, the wrong path. He wants to save us from ourselves. You know, where we just make wrong decisions over and over and over again. And, and all sin ultimately can't be blamed on anybody but ourselves. I chose to do that. I went down the wrong path, or I chose not to do what I should have done. And he says to you, I want you to understand that the Word of God is able to save your souls. And he's not just talking about getting you a ticket to heaven. That saves us from the penalty of sin, but God also saves us from the power of sin, which means we don't have to keep doing what we've always done. We, we can go down a different path. He, he'll save us, rescue us from the patterns that we've been in. Now, we all get in certain ruts and certain habits of life, and, and sometimes we, we say, I just can't help myself. I just, I've always done that, or I've never done that. And God say, okay, but now you can now do it or stop doing it. I'm able to save you from that. But how does he do that? He does that through, again, the means and the agency of God's Word. But God's Word will only have its powerful impact on my life and your life when I'm prepared to receive it. And this is what He speaks to. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. How do we experience God's favor? It's when we do this. Prepare, number one, to receive His Word by getting rid of the garbage that's in our lives. And, and that's just my word to describe verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Now, if you're cleaning up your, your yard or your, or your house and you just have stuff you don't want, don't need, shouldn't have around the house, you'll usually put it in the what? The garbage, right? You just, I don't, you know, I'm not going to sell this at a garage sale. I'm just getting rid of it. It doesn't do me any good. doesn't do anybody else any good. I'm just getting rid of it. And have you noticed in your house, if your house is full of something, there, there's no place for what? Something else. Now, I'm sure none of you have this in your houses, but in my house, there are certain drawers that are a little bit fuller than they should be. Have you ever had that? No? Maybe, uh, you know, you know I, I have a place where I just kind of store my, my shirts, my, my T-shirts that I work out in. I just kind of stuff them in there, and you get used to those T-shirts, and then somebody else gives you some new T-shirts, and you go, well, what do I do? Because if I put these new T-shirts in where I, my drawer where the old T-shirts, I've got to get rid of them. And I think, well, I'm not going to get rid of them. They think they've become part of me. And so, so I, I stuff them in again, all right? But there comes a point of saturation. For me to start enjoying the new T-shirts, i got to get rid of the what? Old T-shirts. Hey, and so the Christian life gives all kinds of symbols of how you're supposed to live out. You've got, you got to put off the old if you're going to put on the new. It's an interesting word. It says, you know, he says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness. 
It's, it's kind of a, well, it's the word, so I guess I can use it. It's kind of a gross illustration in there. The filthiness is, it was used often in terms of the things that sometimes get stuck in your ears, you know. And you have to use Q-tips. You're not supposed to use it, but everybody uses them. I don't know why they sell them, but the doctors say you can't use Q-tips in your ears. But, you know, you, you get that waxy stuff in there, and, you, you know, you, you try to dig it out or get it out, and all of a sudden comes out, and you see this goo that's on, this, on the top, the part of that Q-tip. And, and you begin to realize, oh, I didn't know that was my ear. I, I was wondering why my, when I hear, hear people talk, it was like I was by the ocean. Shh. Have you ever had that sound, you know, in your ears? None of you have. I have, you know. And, and so, uh, so uh, you know, and there, if you have something in your ear, it will impact your ability to listen and to understand what people have said. And, and so, so James is saying very, very simply, he says, now, whether I get specific with you, like, okay, you're talking too much or you're not listening enough or you're filled with anger and bitterness, you've got to get rid of that. Now, those are three specific examples, but that's not the only thing that needs to get out of your house. Anything that keeps you the filth that's in your life, that's waxing up your ears, that you can't hear what needs to be heard, which is the Word of God that should be applied to your life. The word wickedness has the idea, even those things you intentionally do. Some things, some things you kind of fall into and some things you intentionally do. Get rid of it. Get, uh, clean out that, that drawer. Get the stuff out of your garage so you can actually know what you have and what you need to get rid of. God really can't speak to us if, if we're somehow overwhelmed by other things we're doing. And it doesn't even have to be simply bad things. It can be good things but just not the best things. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance that race that is set before us. You know, if, you, if you've ever watched athletes who are running, whether it's on a track or whether it's in a country race or what it might be, they don't have a whole lot of clothes on. They, they, they try to run as light as possible. Now, my oldest son was, uh, he was mostly a basketball player, but he ran cross-country to be in shape to play basketball. And it was right during that era of time where they went from uh, short shorts for basketball players to long shorts. I don't know if you remember that era. They, I mean, they just went long. And so then when he became a cross-country, they, they all wore short shorts. And he was the only guy out there running with long shorts on to begin with. You know, the ones went down to his knees or beyond, beyond his knees. And after a while, he realized, you know, I can't run very well with these. I'm going to have to break that pattern I've always been in. I'm going to have to wear the lighter shorts just to run. Now, the analogy there is what are some things in your life that are just maybe not wrong, but they're just, they're just distracting. They, they, they take your time. You know, it could be that box that has dis- different channels that has visual things that come into your house. And you say, I'm spending too much time in that. I don't have time to read God's Word, but I have time to watch a bunch of shows. Or it could be the internet. It could be whatever it might be. Certain habits, hobbies that just consume you. And you say, I've got to let some of that go. If I'm going to spend time with God and also going to be spend time doing what God wants me to do. I have a good friend in the ministry and, and he, looks at, he looks at God's people trying to do God's will and understand what God's will is uh, in, in the analogy of a, of a dimmer switch. Another way to look at, well, what does God want me to be and to do is to say, well, I, I need to follow the light. That sounds kind of religious and spiritual. I need to follow the light. But he, but he says what, what happens to us is we think that, that the light is constant. 
He said, no, the light is on a dimmer switch. It's not off and on, it's a dimmer switch. And sometimes that light is bright and sometimes it's very dim. Now, who makes it a dimmer light is ourselves. Because what we do is we're concerned about what God's will is for tomorrow. And we're really not that concerned about what God's will is for today. And God is saying, look, I'll give you more light for tomorrow if you do what I want you to do, what? Today. Uh, You know, some have said this, is that um, there's really no need to be worried about what God's will is for you outside of what the Bible says until you follow what God already says in his Bible, right? We we, we all want to know our future. What's going to happen you know, whatever it might be. Some of you, as I gave that joke about Barack Obama, are wondering, oh, who's going to be our president, okay? Well, that's in the future. Let's worry about today. Whatever the future is, God is going to, he's going to handle. But, but if we're not concerned about God's will for me today, he's not going to give me light for God's will for me tomorrow. Does that make sense? And so we're always dimming the light. If you're not doing what he's already said, why are you worried about what he hasn't said? Does that make sense? We, we kind of dim the light. He's saying, why, why should I give you new stuff when you haven't done with the old stuff yet? So, number one, how do we experience God's favor? How do we experience God's blessing? We, we prepare ourselves to receive his word by getting rid of the garbage in our lives. Uh, Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 talks about the, the man who, who walks with God. It's, he, he begins the day with, in the morning with light, and the light gets fuller as the fullness of day comes. But the opposite is those who walk in darkness, they remain in darkness. And the fuller light comes as we day by day, moment by moment, walk with him. Secondly, prepare to receive his word with all humility. And that's that same verse in verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. So if you get rid of stuff that needs to get rid of, maybe it's just you're too busy. It's all right to be busy, but it's not right, all right to be too busy. Uh, there's some things in your life that just clutter up your life. Get rid of the clutter. Or it could be some things that are filthy, some things that are really destructive. And you're holding on to habitual sin. And when you're holding on to habitual sin, you know, God is saying, look, get rid of that now. Because it's just, it's just bringing you down. But then you say, okay, well, how do I do that? Well, how do you do that is you have to look at God's word as, as, as good medicine rather than bad medicine. you got to look at it in all humility. God, you need to teach me. Now, humility is in contrast to, to people who are filled with pride, right? If, if you're filled with pride, you, you, no one would ever describe you as a humble person. But I think, it's, it, it, I think we need to kind of think this through in terms of what he is saying this as it relates to the word given to them. How much can you teach a proud person, a really proud person? Probably nothing, right? Because they're so proud they think they already know it all. Okay. Now, the humble person, even if that person is very uh, uh, learned and, and maybe very experienced and very well-trained, maybe there's a lot of education there, but the humble person is always looking to learn something new or more fresh and practical for them. So you could say here, receive the word with humility means... This, receive the word with a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit. There have been times in my ministry where, you know, I had people, I almost couldn't believe what they told me because they said, well, I already know it all in the Bible. I said, you do? You know, I thought they were just joking me, but then they were 
they were at least halfway serious that they thought they knew everything in here. I said, would you like me to give you a quiz? And then they kind of backed off a little bit. But I mean, the thing is, uh, this book is, is so filled with, with, with truth that it's a lifelong study. You'll never get it all. And so you need to be teachable. And the reason you need to be teachable is because in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, we're not going to turn to the passage, but it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are much higher than yours. Why would you think you've mined the depths of this book? Or Proverbs 3, 7, which comes right after Proverbs 3, 6. And most of you know that verse, trust in the Lord. That's what actually verse 5. With all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. And uh, it's a great verse, but verse 7 is, is great as well. He says, do not be wise in your own eyes. For the Lord, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And that's, that just puts, puts it on one side. This uh, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it on the other side. is There are certain things God wants you to do, start doing, and there are other things God wants you to stop doing, right? That, that's, that's how we come humbly God's word. Okay, God, what is it not only you want me to learn, but what is it you want me to start doing? Or what do you want me to stop doing? Or you can put it in the, in the present tense, what do you want me to continue to do? And what do you want me to start stopping to do? Right? Because we need God's wisdom. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, l- let me just be totally honest. Every, every time I say something, I think I'm right. But the reality is, I'm not always what? That's the last time you're ever going to hear me say that. I just want to let you know. Okay, you know. I mean, obviously, when I'm when I'm talking with people, when I'm arguing or I'm debating, I like to debate. I'll take both sides on a debate just to have fun debating with people. All right. So, but but the issue, you know, when I'm serious about something, I really believe I'm right. But I also know that I'm not always right, and that's where humility comes in. Okay. If we're going to really be in discussion or really be in a debate, then I'm going to listen to what you have have to say because it's quite possible. You'll persuade me if I'm open, if I'm humble, and I'm teachable. Now, if that's true on a horizontal relationship, how much more should it be on a vertical relationship? Because sometimes we're going to come to this book, and and God's going to say some things that don't necessarily um, uh, have us leap with joy about. Because let me add another part of the humility. It's in your outline. Biblical humility is believing God's Word even when you don't want to, and when you don't agree with it. Biblical humility is believing God's word is true and right, even when you don't want to and when you don't agree with it. I, I can't tell you how many times I've met with people that they understood one thing about the Bible until all of a sudden that was because it was somebody else's problem, and then when it became their problem, they began to change their view of what the Bible said. Because now they didn't agree with it because it affected their life. They didn't mind affecting your life, but they didn't like it when it affected their life. And there are times we're not going to want to do certain things. I mean, you know, if we were really brutally honest with us, there's probably people in every one of our lives that, that that's, has done some things to us or some, done some things to other people that we really care about, and, and we don't really want to forgive them. But God says, whether you feel like it or not, what? Forgive them. There's some people in our life that, that we don't really care about at all. And God says, okay, I, I understand. 
that you understand you're supposed to be a, a person who loves people, but I've said not only love your neighbor, but love your enemies. Now, it doesn't mean you have this close relationship, with, but you're seeking that person's best. You're not praying for them to, you know, when I watch sports, I have my favorite team. I want my team to win, and I want the other team to what? To lose. Now, that, that's all right in sports, but in relationships, we don't ever have that desire to have other people lose. We want them to win. Okay, we, we want God to totally change them. They might be going down the wrong path, but we're praying for them. And we say, God, how can I overcome evil with good? It could be real practical things like that. Say, God, I, it can't apply now to me. But humility is saying, I, I will take God's word clearly and plainly for me to live out. So how do, we, how do we experience God's blessing? We receive God's word. How do we receive God's word? By being prepared to receive God's word. And how do we get prepared to receive God's word? Number one, we've got to get rid of the garbage and clutter in our life. Number two, we've got to receive his word with humility, saying, you, you know better than I do, and I'll trust you. Thirdly, we need to prepare to receive his word committed to do what he says. And, and this is really at the heart of this passage. Um, in James 1.22, he says, But prove yourself doers of the word and not mere hearers who delude themselves. I, I came across an article, and it was kind of interesting. It said that, that what we need in, in the American church today is one more English translation, a new translation. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding. We've got too many translations now. Um, and and, and said, so, no, no, we need another new translation. I said, well, who's going to translate it? Or, that was the thought I was thinking as I was reading this. It says, well, every Christian should write their own translation. What in the world is this guy talking about? And then I kept reading. He said, well, everyone should write a translation. Here's the name for everybody's translation who is a follower of Christ. They had to write the doer's translation. The doer's translation. Write down the things they're actually going to do when they read the Bible. Okay. And, and that really kind of gets at the heart of here, the heart of this passage. You know, just listening or reading or even studying the Bible is not enough. That's not the goal. The goal is not to build up our information bank. The goal is to um, build up our practical application of God's message to ourselves, to to us. In fact, he goes on and says, and not mere hearers who delude themselves. When we stop short of saying, I'm going to put this into practice, this word for delude, it's an interesting word in the the Greek language. It's the the Greek word paralogizomai. And the reason I give you that particular Greek word Logizomai sounds like something like logic or, you know, logistics. And it, it, it's, it's that word here, but it puts a prefix to it, a preposition to it, uh, para, which means what it is is that there's reasoning here, but it's alongside. It's, it's the idea of there's reasoning here alongside the truth. Because you can reason on a certain plane or a certain pattern, and it sounds pretty logical until you realize, wait a minute, you've missed the premise. Your, your premise is wrong. So all your reasoning beyond this premise doesn't make sense. And, and that's what he's saying here. Those who think that God's goal for us is simply to, to know more facts in the Bible. And I love that. That's, that's my passion. I, I enjoy reading the, studying the Bible more than any, anything I do in ministry. But that's not the goal. The goal is to put it into my life. And the goal for all of us is to put it in our life. And the, the word delude often was used for people doing mathematical equations. And when they would, they would mess up, it would be, be paralogizomai. They would miscalculate. And often in the church, we've miscalculated. It's all about putting into practice what we learn about God. 
You know, there's so many passages of the Word of God that kind of speak to us. A kind of an interesting one is found even in, the, in this text related to, to the mother of Jesus. It says, While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, On the contrary, blessed, those in God's favor, are those who hear the Word of God and what? Observe it. It's not our position, it's our practice that makes a difference. I was reading a story by uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and he went out golfing. He went out golfing with a member of his church who was a medical doctor. And just as they were teeing off, there was only two in their, in their group. Uh, another man came up and said, can I play with you? And said, sure. And they introduced each other, and the medical doctor introduced them both as doctors. That's Dr. McGee, and he was Dr. Jones, or whatever his name was. And, and uh, Dr. McGee w- he felt a little bit uneasy about that because he thought the man might think both of them were medical doctors. And so he said, uh, no, really, my friend, he has an MD, and I have a THD. One's a medical doctor, and the other THD, a doctorate of theology. And he said, the difference is, is that um, my friend practices what he does. What I do, I just simply preach it. <laughs> and, he, and then he made this comment, and what we need in God's church is more people who are practicing it than preaching it. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to speak the Word of God. We're supposed to do. That's part of the practice of it. But if we're only talking about it and not doing it, then we've missed the point. I mean, it's pretty hard to, to miss this straightforward statement. But prove yourself doers of the Word and not mere hearers who delude themselves. And just quickly, in the time we have left, we prepare ourselves by, by getting rid of the garbage in our life. We, we prepare ourselves by, by really humbly coming to the Word of God and saying, I, I even when I don't want it to do it or I don't agree with it, I'm going to do it anyway. Thirdly, we need to go to God's Word and realize it's all about putting it into practice. You know, fourthly, we need to come to God's Word looking at it intently and not superficially. Look at this text. He actually gives the illustration himself. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Now, it's interesting here. A lot of times when the, the Bible uses the word man, it's talking about human, you know, mankind. It's not talking about gender. It's man or woman. Other times it's very specific. In this place, it's really pretty specific. He says, uh, uh, in, in, but he's like a, a male who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And he used that analogy in that way because, let's be honest, who usually looks in a mirror more, men or women? Women, okay? And in this particular case, that's actually a compliment, not a put-down. Uh, because uh, women are saying, I want to make sure that I'm, I am looking like I think I'm looking. I want to make sure things are all in order. And the man says, uh, is basically, I, I get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and then I'm off. And the rest of the day, I don't even think about what I saw, right? And he says, what happens is that that's how we treat the, the Bible men. And he also, in, in, in inference, he's saying anybody, men and women, is that we, we look in a mirror once and we think, well, that did it. You know, I did it for today. I don't have to worry about it the rest of the day. And he says, no, no, no. You look at what's in the mirror for the purpose of saying, I want to correct that and I want it to stay corrected throughout the day. He, he goes on and says this, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. You know, it's like, like, Whatever it might be, whether it might be on forgiveness, it might be on generosity, it might be on, be, on being submissive to people around you, it might be um, uh, being bold in your faith, it might be a person who, who really prays on behalf of other people's needs. It, it could be any clear injunction or imperative in God's Word. It could be the idea of 
Consider it joy when you're going through a various trial. Well, no, it can't mean me. You don't know how bad this trial is. It could be anything in the Word of God and say, I read that, I understood that, and now when it comes up, you don't even think about trying to apply it. And that's the person who looks in a mirror, sees what he sees there, and then just takes off. He says, that's the exact opposite of what this is all about. And then he goes on and he says, okay, I want you to understand, there's a motivation to do this, but the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man, this is the one that will be blessed in what he does. And so it's the whole challenge of understanding that God wants us to, for us to study to show ourselves approved of God as a workman who's not ashamed handling accurately the word of truth, but it's for the purpose of saying, uh, it's not for me to use it on, on other people's lives before I've used it on my own life. You know, the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And then lead me in the everlasting way. And so the idea, we go to this book not only to be informed, but to be transformed. I, I, I close with this one, one last illustration. I was, I was reading about a missionary, and a missionary was... Uh, in this very primitive land, and there was a lot of animistic religion, um, a lot of superstition, and there was a witch doctor in, in the village. And the missionary had a mirror, and the mirror, uh, you know, obviously reflected what, he, what anybody would look at when they saw the mirror. And, and the witch doctor came over, and, and, and for the first time, he saw what he looked like with all his paint and all his grotesque things on his face. And, and when he saw it, he, he just jumped back in shock. And then he warmed up to him. He said, I, I want that mirror. And the missionary said, no, no, I, I need this for other things. And, no, I want that mirror. And just went on and on and on. So the missionary finally said, okay, you can have the mirror. And as soon as he got the mirror, he threw it on the ground and stomped on it and just shattered the glass. And it was destroyed. He said, why did you do that? Because I didn't want that thing showing me any more ugly faces looking up at me. See, he, he, he saw a reflection of who he was on the outside and he did not like what he saw. And what the Bible does for us is it, it allows us to look at who we are. And there's going to be parts of us that we just say, God, by the grace of God, God has made some amazing changes in my life. But we'll also look at the, word, at the Word of God, the mirror, and we'll see God's not finished with me yet. And I want to be not simply someone who sees what the Bible says, but I want to be a person not only sees it, but does it. Are we experiencing the blessing and favor of God? Well, we can if we prepare ourselves to receive the Word of God in the way God invites us to. So we don't just know about it. We, we live it. We live it out. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God that wants to show us the truth, not to put us under a guilt trip or under bondage or enslavement, but to set us free. Help us to, to take that which is keeping us from hearing you or the wax that is in our ears and get rid of it. Help us to, to be teachable, to have a humble spirit. Help us to want to do it. And then, Lord, help us not to look at it superficially, but intently with the express purpose of being all you want us to be so that we'll be blessed by you and people can see that blessing in our lives. Help us to live for you this week. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this morning as we give our